It is always an encouragement and a joy when those of like precious faith can come together and worship God, encourage one another, and do those things that Christians do in worship to the Father. It becomes even clearer how wonderful that is when we consider the goal for which we reach. The idea that we might be able to have eternal life and live eternally with God in the realm of heaven, singing songs of praise, worshiping Him, John stated in the Revelation day and night. To to understand how that's going to happen, I think that each Christian must consider the the things of his life or her life, the the ways in which he or she lives, and we have to understand that there is an effort that must be put forth for that to to happen. There must be an effort. And when we look in every aspect of life, we understand that to be successful in any endeavor, there has to be a certain effort put forward. And there are common things among all uh, areas and endeavors that are very similar as far as trying to be successful. I know that many years ago, I, as a young man, I learned a trade and, and practiced that trade for many, many years. And uh, you practice and you get better and you get better and you get better. The old adage, practice, uh, practice makes perfect, I think is true in a lot of ways. The builder doesn't start out being an expert builder. He becomes an expert builder. The uh, whatever... Uh, Endeavor someone takes upon them, they are not an expert in that field until they become an expert in that field, and they can do that. And we follow the examples of those who have gone before us. In my situation, when I learned the trade, I learned, I tried to follow in the footsteps of those who taught me. And as I watched them, I tried to emulate the techniques they had and the things they did to be successful in that line of work. I think all children, as they're growing up, they try to emulate their mother and their father, and they try to, as it were, walk in the footsteps of their parents because they look up to them, they have a great love and respect for them, and they want to be like mom and dad. Well, we don't really outgrow that. When we learn to do certain things, we want to be like the one who taught us those things, or at least in that area of our lives. I think when we look at the idea of Christianity, we have to incorporate a lot of those same principles. We might say practice makes complete, right? The more we practice Christian principles, the more complete we become and we grow and we mature and we become what Jesus would have us to do. And we try to walk in His footsteps. Now, we're not going to literally walk in His footsteps, but figuratively speaking, and in a lot of ways, in reality, we walk in His footsteps, and we want to be able to follow His example. And that's the title of the sermon tonight, Following Christ's Example. If you will, please turn to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to notice a passage there in just a few moments. But as we look at the way Christ lived and we endeavor to walk in His footsteps and we endeavor to follow His example, we have to look at the things He's left for us to understand. I think one of the, one of the most prominent 
actions that he took as far as being involved directly with his disciples was when he washed the feet of the apostles. We see that and read about that in John chapter 13. Following the the supper where he instituted the Lord's Supper, it states that he girded himself and he he stood up and, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. After having a conversation with Peter, and we remember what that is, Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. And he said, well, don't only wash my feet, wash my head. Wash my whole body. And Jesus replied, saying, you only have to wash that which is dirty, that which needs to be cleansed. And following that conversation, John 13, beginning with verse 12, he said, know you, that, know you what I've done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. And I don't think it's coincidental that many, many years later, Peter would tell those who were scattered abroad, 1 Peter 2, beginning verse 21, he said, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an ensample that ye should follow his footsteps. And he went on to talk about how he bore the sins of the world, and he paid a price that we could not pay. And so when, I think at that point in Peter's life, he was making the connection, wasn't he? It wasn't really about washing feet. It was about service, and it was about sacrifice. It was about living a life of sacrifice and doing for others, even when it might be inconvenient, when it might be hard, or maybe even a little embarrassing. And we go back to that upper room and as our Savior girded Himself with that towel, that was the lowest of low positions in this world. The slave washed the feet of the guest and not a person there was willing to stand up and wash the Savior's feet, let alone each other's. And so I think at this point in Peter's life, when he wrote his second letter, he was understanding pretty clearly what was going on. Notice Matthew 20, beginning with verse 17. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and discourage and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. See, Jesus was explaining the things that were going to happen. He was going to walk a pathway that was very difficult. And if He is to walk that pathway, and He is our example, we must walk a very similar pathway in this life. We must be willing to live a life of sacrifice, and that entails giving up things that we would just as soon maintain in our lives. But understanding that's not what God has in store for us, not what He wants us to do, we need to be able to sacrifice for our greater good. I think as we look back over the history of, of humankind, of humanity, we understand that people have always kind of uh, been interested in the future, haven't we? 
we've always been interested in what's going to happen next. And we see that with Jesus here in Matthew 20. He's explaining to the disciples what is about to happen. Why would he do that? Well, he does that and he did that because it was something that was important for them to understand and for them to know. People always like to be able to know what's coming next. Some people more so than others, right? Some people have to know what the next move is every single move. Now, I've never really been one of those people. I like to know in general what direction I'm going, but I don't have to know every single step of the way. Now, some people do. Some people want to know every single step, and that's okay. In fact, probably those people end up being a little more successful in life, maybe, than others. We look at children. They want to understand what's going to happen, right? Children dream about adulthood. I don't know any child who can't wait to be older. And then when they get their wish, they're wishing they could go back and be younger, right? Adults, they dream of what the future's going to hold, the next job or the better job. Am I going to have children or grandchildren? What, what are the things that that are going to happen in my life to make my life better or exciting, right? But we want to know the future, again, because we want to make plans. We want to be able to understand. And we see Jesus doing that. He's explaining to the disciples what He was going to endure because it affected them directly. He was going to be affected. He was going to do something for the world, and they would suffer the brunt of that for some time. And they needed to be ready for that. And so, in a very similar way for them, when we look at what God did for humanity, we see that God had uh, designed something for the salvation of humanity. It didn't just pop up. It wasn't just a, 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 second, a second-hand idea to give the world something that well, we decided that they needed here at the last minute. No, this was an eternal purpose. We read about that in Ephesians 3. So if we're going to be like Christ, and we're going to follow Christ's example, I think that the Christian has to begin with a plan. That's our first point. We have to be determined to plan, and then we have to be determined to carry out that plan. Plan to work, and then work the plan, right? That's a common saying. And again, Christ's plan had been in effect for some time. It was from eternity that God decided to do what He did. Paul said this, found in Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 9, "...and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God." who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. From the beginning of the world, the purpose and the plan was hid. It was hidden. The people of the Old Testament didn't know exactly what that plan was. Job knew there would at some point in time be a mediator, and he looked for that mediator. And it wasn't until Christ came into the world that that mystery was unveiled. No longer was it a mystery, but now they understood what God's plan was. That ought to tell us something about plans, shouldn't it? 
Jesus the Christ had a plan. And we ought to emulate Him in our lives, and we ought to have a plan. Should we be concerned about the future? Absolutely. Of course we ought to be concerned about the future. Someone said, you better be concerned about the future. You'll spend the rest of your life there. And that's true, isn't it? The future happens every single day. As we move in, we lose the time behind us. We do not yet have the time in front of us. We only have now, but we're progressively moving into the future. Paul told the Ephesians how to prepare for the future, how to prepare for those battles in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. He taught them how difficult it was going to be, and so they needed to wear the armor of God. We remember uh, many times talking about that, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shod with with the preparation, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. And that prepares a person to be able to carry out their plan. We can defeat Satan. There's no doubt about it. If we plan to defeat Satan, if we'll walk in the example of Christ, we can defeat Satan. As the Lord walked along with His disciples, He talked about a plan that he had. He talked about his determination to carry out that plan. He, and then he described for them exactly what would happen. They needed to know. They needed to understand the bad things that were about to take place. And he told them how he would be mistreated at the hands of the Gentile, the leaders of the Jewish people. He would be scourged and beaten and mocked and ultimately would give his life. Now, the description of our plan, though we're not giving our lives physically, or at least we're not in this country, we're blessed and fortunate. It's not that different from the plan Christ had. We have to be willing to suffer if that's what it takes. I've known people in foreign lands who have physically suffered at the hands of people who oppose them in Christianity. We have to be willing to maintain our steadfastness and stick to the plan and do those things that that Christ has asked us to do. Let's recall what Jesus told the churches in Asia, Revelation 2, verse 10. He said, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation uh, ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. But how in the world was that possible? How could anyone expect a people to face certain death and simply go in, go into it with their heads held high, willing to give themselves? Well, because of what He did for us. That was His example. He walked to the cross. He didn't go to the cross with His head down. He went to the cross knowing what He was doing. With great courage he walked to the cross and allowed those people to murder him. But the best laid plans, they do not work out unless they are effectively discharged. The description Christ gave to his disciples was one of complete barbarity, wasn't it? It was awful the things that he said would happen. The hatred that he endured ought to make all of us wonder how in the world God would even bother 
with a world of hateful people. I think it boggles the mind, or at least it does mine, to think about the love that God has toward His creation. And this wasn't something, again, there are so many denominations in the world who act as if the church is not important, that the church was simply uh, uh, plan B because Christ could not accomplish what He wanted to accomplish in this life. I wouldn't want to serve a God who could be thwarted by mankind, would you? I don't want to serve a God that a lowly human can stop from fulfilling His plan. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. The Jews didn't sneak up on Christ. The Old Testament prophets talked about it from years before. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Psalm 11, verse 12. He would be deserted by all of His friends, Psalm 13, 7. He would be pierced while on the cross, Psalm 22, 16. Lots would be cast for His garments, Psalm 22:18. And Isaiah 53 describes what He would endure. No one snuck up on the Christ. He simply gave Himself, and we ought to be willing to suffer as well. We have to imitate what He did, isn't it? It's not good enough to say, I want to obey or I'm going to obey, if I don't obey. Someone may say, I'm going to fix this aspect in my life or I'm going to fix that aspect in my life. doesn't matter. Someone may be sick and say, well, I'm going to go to the doctor. And they never go to the doctor. Well, we can't expect them to be healed when they don't go uh, get the proper help. So we have to understand, we have to have a plan if we're going to follow Christ's example. But it's not good enough just to have a plan. We must be persistent in that plan. That's our second point. We have to be persistent. Christ stayed on the cross so we could live. There's no greater example of persistence than what He endured. I can't imagine the things that He endured. Now think about this. When they came to the garden to arrest Him, we remember what Peter did. He jumped up, he grabbed a sword, and he tried to kill Malchus the servant of the high priest. Now listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 26, beginning with 53. He said, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? That doesn't sound like the Jews snuck up on Him. That doesn't sound like that Rome thwarted His plan. It sounds like a man who knew exactly what was going to happen, and could have stopped it, but he was persistent. The Father, the Godhood, had a plan from eternity on how to save their greatest creation. And they put that plan into effect, and they were persistent with it. He stayed on the cross. It wasn't the nails. It was the love, wasn't it? It was His persistence. It was His steadfastness. And because He stayed on the cross, we should also be steadfast in our faith. Notice what He said, Matthew ten twenty two, And ye shall be hated of all men for My name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. I think Paul understood very well what that meant. I think he understood exactly what it meant to endure to the end. When he wrote the preacher Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, That's a very familiar passage to us. He talked about fighting the good fight. 
he talked about keeping the faith, staying the course. And then he said, I know there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. Now we can back up over the course of his life and read the letters and he gave up everything in this life. He sacrificed for the greater good. He sacrificed for an eternal home. He could have been wealthy in this life and may very well have been very wealthy prior to being converted to Christianity. I know he was very powerful within the Jewish religion, but he gave it all up. He was steadfast and he never returned. Now we read about a lot of people in the New Testament who forsook God. We read about Demas, forsook Paul and he forsook God. He loved living in this present world. We read about Ananias and Sapphira of Acts chapter 5 who were Christians and they decided to go back into the world and they lost their lives for it. We read about a lot of people who gave up and did something to try to save themselves physically, either because of financial reasons or simply afraid of death. When we read and study the Revelation and and we understand what those great people did, we have to also understand not everybody did that, right? Not everybody was steadfast. Not everybody stood in the face of the Roman government and said, I'm going to serve God and not the emperor. But a lot of them did. Persistence is necessary in every aspect of life. And if we're going to be persistent in our plan. I think we need to understand that's very uh, closely associated with our prayer lives. We have to be persistent in prayer. Paul said praying continually. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that we're praying constantly through every minute of the day, but that means that that is a huge part of our lives. That's a huge part of our lives. We pray before we make big decisions. Isn't that what Christ did? He prayed before He chose the disciples. We pray when we... When we enter times of loneliness and darkness, isn't that what Christ did? He prayed in the garden when He knew death was uh, looking at Him right into the face. We pray when things are going well for us. We're thankful for the food God has provided for us, for the clothing, for the sustenance in this life, for the ability to take care of ourselves. And we see Christ doing that, don't we? He prayed and He gave thanks for the things that the Father gave to Him. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse 7. The writer of Hebrews talked about the way in which Christ prayed. He said, "...who in the days of his flesh, while he was living as a man, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect..." He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. What a blessing for Christians to be able to go before the throne of God and cast their cares upon our Savior and our Lord. But if we do not have a a right relationship with our Father, our best laid plans are not going to matter. If we do not have a right relationship with our Father, the persistence that we put in is going to be misplaced. And here is the big problem if we do not have a right relationship with our Father. When it comes time to pay, we won't be able to do our part. That's our third and final point. Jesus paid for the sins of the world. 
when He was crucified upon the cross. All sin requires punishment because God is just and He is righteous. That's why Paul warned, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The first sin required death, didn't it? We recall back in the garden reading the account of Adam and Eve sinning, eating the forbidden fruit, discovering that they were not clothed and hiding themselves. And when they came, as it were, face to face with God, they had clothes on. They had fashioned for themselves aprons made from leaves. And God said, Who told you you were naked? Well, because of their sin, an innocent life lost its life. It was an animal beneath the human, but still an innocent life form. God sacrificed that animal, made clothes from its skins, and clothed the first couple. Sacrifice has to be made to cover sin. And so it was throughout history. As man continued on down through time, through the patriarchal law, into the law of Moses. Brother Carl and I were talking this morning. Isn't it a great thing that we don't have to offer animal sacrifice today? We couldn't, we couldn't house the dead bodies of those animals that were sacrificed continually over and over and over. It wasn't just one time a year. They were continually offering sacrifice, animal sacrifice, grain sacrifice, wine sacrifice, the trespass sacrifice. There were all kinds of sacrifices offered because there had not yet been the sacrifice. But that all changed. That all changed when Christ had a plan. He persevered and He paid the price by dying on the cross. Paul said, Galatians 4 beginning with 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. Christ paid. He paid when He died on the cross. So how is it that we emulate that? How do we walk in the example of Christ and follow His example? Well, we have to pay as well. And we have to count the cost. Christ talked about that in the parables of counting the cost. We have to make sure when we... When we decide to be faithful to God, we take upon ourselves that responsibility. We need to understand exactly what that's going to cost. Don't build a tower without first knowing you can finish it. Don't go to war without first knowing you have the army to be successful. We need to be able to sit down and understand what it means to be a Christian. If I'm going to walk in the example of Christ, I need to be willing to give up things in this life that God condemns. I need to be willing to, sit, to understand what it costs to be a Christian. The old saying, and we're familiar with it, there are no free lunches in this life, right? Someone always has to pay. Someone always has to pay. Every single sin has to have a punishment. Now, if we follow Christ's plan, we're persistent in His plan, the way we pay is simply counting the cost and being obedient to what God has asked. Jesus told us, Matthew 7, beginning with verse 13, we alluded to it in this, this morning's sermon. He said, Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. 
Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. As we walk the paths of this life, we're going to walk on one of two paths. We'll walk the path of salvation or we'll walk the path of sin. There is no third option. There is no walking in the middle of the road. There is no middle of the road. You're either walking and living for God or you're walking and living for Satan. And we need to understand why the Christian life is a life of sacrifice. Why it is that we must pay. To enter into the straight gate or the straight path, the narrow gate, means we make a choice. We choose what we keep in our lives and we choose what we throw away. We throw away the bad, we keep the good. We get rid of the ungodly, we keep faithfulness in our lives. That's why it's a life of sacrifice. It's a choice. And we sacrifice the sinful joys of this life for the eternal reward. And it is more than worth it. John made a statement, 1 John 2 verse 16, he said, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. To embrace this world and not to embrace God is to live in those avenues of sin. Only what we can get in this life in the present. And that's not a Not at all what God had in mind. And from the very first sin, we see how Satan has incorporated those avenues of sin. The the fruit looked good. It was pleasant, pleasing to the eyes. It was beautiful. It looked like it would taste good, like it was good for food. And then it would make one wise. And that's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And he is very effective, Satan is, in doing that. But before we dedicate ourselves to God, we have to understand a few things. We have to understand what we have to pay, and we have to be willing to pay it. Because if we return to the world, Peter talked about how we're worse off than we were before we obeyed the gospel in 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. And we don't want that. We don't want that at all. But when we look at the idea of following the example of Christ, It takes more than just counting the cost alone, right? It takes more than just understanding what it, what it's going to take, what it's going to, what we're going to have to pay. We have to understand all of it. We have to have a plan to get to heaven. God's given us His plan of salvation. Faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water so our sins can be washed away, and faithful living. That's His plan. That's not our plan. Being persistent in His plan. Living faithfully, continually, day after day. Getting rid of the bad, keeping hold of the good. Honoring God in every way. Being an example so other people can follow in our footsteps, right? That's what he talks about, what he means when we talk about being persistent. And then understanding, again, what it's going to cost. Nothing's free. Everybody has to pay. And We need to be able to take the bad and get rid of it. And that's not a lot of pay on our part, is it? To simply avoid the sins of this life. Christ's steps were the hardest ones anyone has ever taken. So why in the world would anyone believe that living the Christian lifestyle is going to be the easiest thing ever undertaken? It's the greatest thing ever undertaken. But it can be very difficult at times. But we can persevere, we can overcome, and we can be faithful.
If you've not sacrificed the sins of this life for Jesus, do that. Obey the gospel if you're not a Christian. We talked about how to do that. If you are a Christian and you've fallen away, you've become unfaithful, come back to Him. Sacrifice the things of this life that are hindering you from becoming faithful. You need to answer this Lord's invitation. Let that be known as we stand and as we sing.